It'll all be worth it. Just hold on. Hold on to your faith, regardless of what you might have to face. Well, let me, let me say something. Uh, this past Tuesday was my wife's birthday, and uh, I decided to do something uh, that's kind of uncommon for me. So um, I surprised my wife with a, a totally surprise trip to Florida. And I did not tell her in advance until just when I had to, to make sure she was going to be able to go, <laughs> which, which is a good idea, guys. So, um, so there's a place in Florida that's, that's her favorite place in the world to go on vacation. I booked that room. And I want to tell you, uh, we left Sunday, last Sunday, uh, right after church, and drove to Florida. We got back last night at 7 o'clock. As of this moment, I am a five-star husband. <laughs> Two, three, four, five. Now, this is where you all come in, okay? I'm not just saying this for no reason. I need you all to do something. So, um, tonight, tonight at the fish fry or maybe later on when you see my wife, Janet, I need some help. I need for you to do something. I, I need for you, and I, I, don't tell her I told you to do this, <laughs> but I need for you to go up to my wife and say, that Terry. <laughs> Wasn't that special? <laughs> so you can do this. It's not that hard. And the reason why, I, I feel like that I can ride this wave one more day. Because <laughs> I'm pretty convinced by Tuesday I'll be in the, in the doghouse once again which is where I live normally. So, but I feel like with your help we can ride this wave Maybe through Monday. Okay, that Terry. That, that Terry. Isn't he special? Okay. You've got your assignment. Seven times. Seven times Jesus does something supernatural in a public setting. And then when he does it, he looks at them and says, not now. Not yet. Don't talk about it. Don't tell anyone. Not now, not yet. I'd like to walk through those seven supernatural encounters with Jesus so that I might ask us today this question. If not now, when? So I'm going to begin, I'm going to read seven different stories. And in all seven of the stories, we're going to encounter this question. I begin with a man with leprosy. It's found in Matthew 8 verse 1. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Now, now, is that too big of a thing to ask somebody? Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses. And those, for those who have been healed of leprosy, this will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. 
The, this leprosy man was obviously Jewish. So Jesus tells him, go and obey the Jewish law regarding cleansing. And that'll be enough of a testimony for now. But I read this story and say, if not now, when? Example number two. This man's blind. Matthew 9, 27. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men, two blind men followed along behind Jesus shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he, Jesus, was staying. And Jesus asked them, do you believe that I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them. Here it comes again. Jesus sternly warned them. Don't tell anyone about this. What? Don't tell anyone? I've been blind my whole life and I'm supposed to not tell anyone? Is, is that asking too much? But instead they went out and spread his fame all over the region. Are they in trouble? Jesus' instructions were clear, but they couldn't hold it in. It was too big. Now, now, when you read these stories, I want you to try to insert yourself into these stories. You're standing there that day. Could you hold it in? Could you, could you keep your mouth shut after seeing that? It's too big. It's too big to not share with somebody when something supernatural has occurred. If not now, when? Number three. This is a man with deformed hand. He's in a synagogue. He's gone there to worship. And it's not just him. The story will include some others. This is Matthew 12, 9. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so that they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. This man's got a deformed hand of some. Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored just like the other one. When the Pharisees, excuse me, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. But Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left the area, and many people followed him, and he healed all the sick among them, and he, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. That, that story says that not only was there a man with a shriveled hand, but there are many that are in this scene, and he heals all of them, but he warns them, don't tell anyone who I am. Is he asking too much? 
I mean, they have encountered the supernatural son of God, all-powerful healer. If not now, when? Could you keep it a secret? Number four, this man is deaf. He cannot hear. And because he cannot hear, he cannot speak correctly. Mark 7, 31. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephata, which means be opened. Instantly, instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. And Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Are they all in trouble? They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. If not now, when? Leprosy, blindness, crippled hand, multiple illnesses, and now a deaf mute. Could you hold it in? If you insert yourself in the story and you saw this happen with your own eyes, could you keep it a secret? Would you keep it? Would you? Can you see yourself going home and you can't tell anybody? Could you? It's important that you ask yourself this question because I'm going to tell you in a minute why this is really important. Could you encounter this man and keep it to yourself? I'm going to give you a hint. It's going to get bigger than these. Number five. Now we've got evil spirits. In Mark 3, verse 7, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd. Now there's a lot of people are following him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and east of the Jordan River, and even from as far as nor far north as Tyre and Sidon. Why is everybody coming? Because there's a bunch of blabbermouths. Okay? Do you see this? There's a bunch of blabbermouths. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people. I want you to don't miss it. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him. So in other words, there's just a man who's got an evil spirit and he doesn't even have to be up close to Jesus. When they make eye contact, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits 
not to reveal who he was. Huh? Now we've gone from the physical to the supernatural. Evil spirits revealing the true identity of this carpenter from Nazareth. After all, their shrieking statement, could you debate it? Their shrieking statement is true. You are the son of God. If not now, when? We got leprosy, we got blindness, we got crippled hand, multiple illnesses, deaf mute. Now evil spirits are shouting, you're the son of God. Yes, it's going to get bigger. Bigger than this. Could you, would you keep this secret? Example number six. I told you there's seven. This is Jairus' daughter. Mark 5, 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Jairus, your, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Why? She's dead. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd wouldn't let any, anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and why all this weeping? The child isn't dead. She is asleep. The crowd laughed at him, at Jesus, but he made them all leave and took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed, and Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Okay, how in the world is anyone going to be able to keep this a secret? Is he asking too much? Is that an unreasonable thing to ask? Don't tell anybody. If Jesus, if Jesus raised your dead child from the grips of death, could you, could you keep it a secret? Could you keep your mouth shut? If not now, when? I've given you six examples of not now, not yet. If, 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 what's he waiting for? What, why wait? Why, why does he make this request that seems to us unreasonable? All kinds of physical healings. Evil spirits are screaming. And now he raises the dead? If not now, when? Now, I'm not doing this today to leave all you hanging about the when. It's coming. I told you there were seven. That was six. Jesus is going to reveal the when. Are you ready for it? If not now, when? Here he comes. This is in the transfiguration of Jesus' story. It's found in Matthew 17. 
Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter blurted out, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud came over them, and the voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. There's power in those three words. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified. They fell down with their face to the ground. Then Jesus came over and he touched them. Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked, they saw only Jesus, which explains why God the Father said, listen to him. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded, don't, don't read over these words. As they went back down the mountain, what's just happened? Listen to him. As they go back down the mountain, Jesus commanded, don't tell anyone what you have seen until. Oh, I see the wind coming. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Do you see it? The wind? Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I've read to you six different accounts where Jesus said, not now, not yet, and one that says, when? Actually, if you study the Scripture, there are many that have given us instructions today in the church age about when, and I'm going to proclaim something to you today. Listen carefully. When is now. Now. When is now. Those six accounts revealed something that we, the church, must come to grips with today. Actually, two things I want you to understand the reason for today's message. Two things. Jesus did not come to the earth to heal the sick. He did not come to the earth to heal leprosy, to cure blindness, to make crippled hands straight and deaf mutes able to hear and speak. He did not come to the earth to cast out evil spirits so that they might scream out his true identity. Why? Because if that was his purpose, every one of those people that received those healings would eventually die. And they'd be dead forever. That's not why he came. Jesus came to the earth to die. He came to die on the cross so that you and I would have a way to make peace with God and escape what was going to eventually come to that leper, what was going to eventually come for that deaf mute, what was going to eventually come to every person in these stories. 
sin, death, and the grave. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. People today and people then might get confused about Jesus' purpose. And that's why it was important that he told them, not now, not yet. Because they were thinking, this is your purpose, to do this physical healing of people. But that's not his purpose. Then it's not his purpose now. He came to die and to be raised from the dead, defeating death and the grave forever. This was man's greatest enemy, sin, death, and the grave, eternal death, and separation from God. And I've got to tell you, this idea, eternal death, separation from God, it's bigger than leprosy. It is bigger than being blind. It is bigger than being deaf. It is bigger than having a crippling feature in your body. Jairus didn't want his daughter to die, right? So he calls Jesus. He seeks out the one that he believed had the power over death. He seeks out one because he had heard and he believed that there was one on the earth that could go over that big red line of death and bring somebody back across the line. One. And today I need to tell you something. We're all dying. If I stood up here today, took a real sober mood and told you that I'd been to the doctor and I've been diagnosed with a terminal cancer and I've got a very little bit of time left, everybody would, oh, that's not that I know of anyway true. But I am dying. And so are you. We're all dying. Do you understand? When Satan comes to Eve in the garden, you know what he told her? You'll not die. He's a liar. Today we're all dying and all humanity is mortal. And we are all in one phase or the other in the throes of death. I know nobody wants to, somebody to say that out loud, but the truth is really important. But there is one who raises the dead. One. And he proved his identity when he himself was raised from the dead. The apostle Paul didn't believe it at first. In fact, there's a lot of people that didn't believe it at first. But when they truly encountered this risen Christ, you couldn't keep from telling everyone. In every one of those six stories I told you, what was the common theme? They probably had doubts in their minds, but when they encountered him personally, they could no longer keep their mouth shut. Even when he said, shh, don't tell anyone, they couldn't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. In fact, I, I wonder today, would it be healthy for the church if Jesus said, don't tell anyone? Because what I see in the church is the opposite of the calling. If not now, when? We're supposed to be telling everyone. And what I find in the church today is a giant lack of evangelism. A giant lack of spreading this good news. The Apostle Paul, he didn't believe it at first. I've, I've read the details of his life. But when he truly encountered the risen Christ, 
he couldn't stop telling people. And here's what's interesting. In fact, most interesting to me. He even told people that hated his guts. Knowing that they hated him, the love of God compelled him to tell them anyway. In fact, one town he goes into and he tells them about, you don't have to die. There's a Savior who saves you from your sins and death and the grave and all of that. And they stoned him. They, they threw rocks at him and drug him out of town for dead. Why? What makes a person do that? What makes a person share this good news? What, what keeps you from closing your mouth? It's too big. It's too big. I, I can't hold this in. Can you imagine any of this blind person? His entire life, he's blind. I'm not supposed to tell anybody. I can't. Jairus' father, Jairus, Jairus himself, do you think he can be silent when his daughter who was dead is now alive? Don't tell. I can't. I've got to tell somebody. It's too big. I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul. So what's Jesus' purpose? Because if you don't get his purpose, if you don't understand that, that he didn't just come to heal blind people. He didn't just come to get the lepers clean. What's his purpose? So the Apostle Paul, he goes to Athens, Greece, which was the intellectual cultural center of that day in Acts 17. And he's trying to explain to these pagans the purpose of God. Verse 27, his purpose, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after him. God wants you to look for him. He's not hiding from you. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and exist. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. Now, this is important. He's talking to people who probably looked down upon him already. And he's telling them that in the past, in generations past, God overlooked this ignorance this idolatry, worshiping images of stone and, and metal. He, in, in the past, he looked over this stuff. But now, here it comes. He commands. People read over these words that are so important. But now, he commands everyone, everywhere to repent. Now, when's the last time you enjoyed somebody walking up to you and telling you you needed to repent? You see, there's a danger there. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he, why? Why do I need to repent? Why do I need to return to, re, return to him? Turn and face him. For he, Paul knows something. Do you understand? He's encountered God. He knows something. For he has set a day. He set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this man is by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. So I look at the church today. I look at the church today and I ask a question. If not now, when? 
If you knew, and I look at this room and I have to believe you do know, if you knew about someone who could cure death, would you keep it a secret? Really? I mean, let's get real here today. If, if you knew there was someone who could cure death, wouldn't you share that with somebody who didn't know about that? If you knew about someone who could walk out of the grave and make demons scream, would you perhaps find it important to share that with somebody? I'm talking about victory over death itself. If you knew of someone that could change your mortal flesh into immortality, would you keep it a secret? If you knew, you see, the, the issue here is, do you know? Have you encountered him? If you knew about the lake of burning sulfur, if you knew about the lake of burning sulfur called hell, the future of all those who die in their sins, and you knew of one that died to forgive those sins, would you keep that a secret? Really? You see, in all six of those examples, they couldn't shut their mouth because they had encountered one who was so big that I cannot be silent. And here's the church. And if you knew these things, wouldn't you tell somebody? So, everybody, let's pause. It's going to get deeper here in a moment, so I need to give you some breath. This past week, past month, how many people have you shared Jesus with? If you knew about the bridegroom's plan to come for his bride, would you keep it a secret? If you knew about the great white throne judgment and the details surrounding the second death of the great white throne judgment of Revelation, if you knew about that. Now, if you're a believer, I'm assuming you know that. If you come to this church, we talk about that. If you know about the great white throne judgment, wouldn't you tell somebody about that? So is everyone in your family saved? When you all meet together at the kitchen table, do you talk about this stuff? Is this, is this part of the conversation of the church inside the families? Is everyone that you're associated with at your work or in your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your relationships, have you talked to them about Jesus? If not now, when? When do you plan on getting to that? Do you feel like you bear any responsibility? In these six examples that I read to you, Jesus kind of scolds them because he didn't want that to get out until after the resurrection. But it got out. You know why? They couldn't keep their mouth shut. They couldn't do it. It's too big. On October 17th of last year, I 
preached a sermon here that actually shocked me. It was called Dark Eyes, where I called the church to account regarding your family, your children, and this generation that's coming up with dark eyes. And, and I've, we get uh, information back on online views and all that, and it is by far the, the most viewed sermon I have ever preached in this church, which really surprised me. Why? It hit a, it hit a note. It hit something. So today is kind of a similar thought. If not now, when do you plan on having that conversation? In these seven examples today, those people had a legitimately, they had legitimately, they had legitimately encountered Jesus. And when they legitimately encountered Jesus, they were compelled to speak. Something happened. Something happened. I cannot be quiet. It's too big. It's too big. How could you possibly hold this good news in? How could you keep this man, Jesus, a secret after you realize who he really is and why he came to the earth? And then the question begs this to be asked. Do you think you're not dying? Do you think you can escape the grave and hell without him, without this Savior? Do you think your children, do you think your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors can escape grave and the hell without Jesus? Do you think you don't need a resurrection Savior? Now, I need to make a point. Before you go sharing this good news with somebody else, you better make sure you got the good news yourself. If not, you're just messing it up for the rest of us. You need to drink the living water before you go give somebody else a drink of water. So before you can ever share this good news with somebody else, you must make sure that you have indeed encountered him personally. But you need to drink. So today, first and foremost, before you start thinking about your kids or your grandkids or somebody else, you better be thinking about you. It's a good time in this moment to be selfish. You need to think about you first. Don't give somebody else a drink of water while you're thirsty. In fact, the only way I'll ever have anything to share with somebody else is from the excess of the flow of the, the spring of living water that is inside of me, producing more than I need myself. Then I can share you and give you a drink. But what if they won't listen? I know what people are going to say. What if they don't listen? Okay, okay, preacher, you got my attention. And yes, uh, after that dark eyes sermon, we had a family meeting, and my, my teenage kids looked at me like I was from Pl uh, Pluto, Mars, one of those planets. That's okay. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. It is not your responsibility to convert anybody. It is your responsibility to tell them the truth. It is your responsibility to share the good news. There wasn't any individual that saved me except this man named Jesus. But he sent someone to tell me. Do you understand? He sent somebody to tell me. And those words, these words, are supernatural in and of themselves. 
And when they pass through the portals of the human soul, through the eyes and the ears, they do something that I can't explain. It's outside of my power. But I must tell them. You must tell them. And if they look at you crazy, it's okay. It's not your responsibility to convince them. It's your responsibility to tell them. They stoned Paul and left him for dead, and yet he kept preaching. In fact, if you go back and read that story, he, after he recovers from the stoning, and by the way, the stoning then is a little different than being stoned today. <laughs> he actually went back into town and preached again. Paul saw something. You see, what makes a guy do this? Come, come on. These are real people. What would make a guy that's left for dead in the ditch get up and go back in to preach again? What would it be? So two things. Number one, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the risen Savior. He met God. He met God. He, he, it's too big. It's too big. It's too big for me. I cannot be silent. It's too big. And then, if that's not enough, after he meets God on the road to Damascus, the Bible says he, he, he's, he's lifted up to the third heaven. He's, he's lifted up, and he gets to see things that are unspeakable. And whatever it was that, that he encountered was so big that he didn't care. It's bigger than getting stoned. It's bigger than the enemies who want to kill me. Second Corinthians, verse 12. Paul writes to the church. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Some people that get stoned today say that, actually. <laughs> only, only, I'll get emails on that one, probably. <laughs> Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. <coughs> this is so big. Not only has he seen the risen, he's seen God in the flesh, resurrected flesh, but now he's seen heaven to some degree. I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. I can't even, Paul's like, I can't even tell you the big part. What did Paul see on that Damascus road? What, what, what happened to him that would make him preach to people who hated his guts and wanted him dead. What did he see? What did he see in, in paradise that would preach to people who wanted to stone him to death? It was several years ago, I, I did an illustration here at the church. There's, there's two fences. This fence over here goes toward heaven. And there's a tall wooden fence, but inside that tall wooden fence, there's a knot hole. And, and you can take your eye and put it in the knot hole and you can look into heaven and you get five seconds. And over on this side is another fence and it, it's a tall fence that, that borderlines hail. And there's a knot hole there 
and you get five seconds to look through the knot hole into that side too. Five seconds to see heaven, five seconds to see hell. Now, the illustration was for this purpose, that I'm convinced that if you had five seconds to see that one, five seconds to see this one, you would forever be changed. What did Paul see? What, what did he encounter that so transformed him? This guy wrote most of what we know, the New Testament under the Holy Spirit. What did he see? Well, I, I got to tell you something. The Bible gives you more than five seconds of a view into both. If you have eyes to see, you get more than five seconds. You don't, nobody here today has to guess what the future is. There's heaven and there's hell. And, and you don't have to find a fence with a knot hole. This is it. In fact, I'm going to give you one of those today. It's more than five seconds. It's, it's, some people call it a parable. I've always struggled with it being a parable. We covered this in our Roots class. It's found in Luke 16. It's, it's a story that Jesus tells. And the reason I struggle with it being a parable, maybe it is. I'm not going to argue the point. It doesn't matter to me if it's a parable or not a parable. It's the same point to me. But the reason I struggle with it being a parable is he uses names. And he doesn't use names in parables. Um, but in this case, he uses names. Lazarus and Abraham. Real people. And I'm going to read something to you today, and here's the reason I read it. This is your knothole in the fence of the future. And if you want to disregard it, it'll be on you, but somebody told you. And this is Jesus' teaching. Here we go, Luke 16. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who had splinted who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived in, <clears throat> he lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died, and was carried by angels. Notice the words plural. The poor man died and he's carried by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and he was buried. And his soul, and his soul, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in a far distance with Lazarus by his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm 
separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. No one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, please, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers. If not now, when? I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. What is this place of the dead? What is this place of torment? The NIV version Bible calls it hell. New American Standard calls it Hades. I'm going to tell you today, this is worse than leprosy. This is worse than blindness. This is worse than being crippled. The rich man is conscious. Everybody listen to me. The rich man is conscious in Hades. He has a physical body in Hades, in the place of the dead. He obviously feels pain there because Jesus says he is in torment. He obviously can see there because he sees Lazarus at Abraham's side, but they are far away. I wonder if it's the first time in the rich man's life that he thought about someone besides himself. Someone must warn my family. Somebody must tell them about this place of the dead. I want you to stop for a moment and think about, notice something. Something that is wonderful or horrible. The rich man has memory. I remember the first time that that hit me. I sat stunned in my desk when it hit me. The rich man has memory in the place of the dead. He is aware of his past. He is aware of his present. He is aware of his future. He is himself there. Fully himself in the place of the dead. He has a body that experiences thirst. Send Lazarus with cool water. He has a body that experiences pain. I am in torment in these flames. He can see. He can speak. He can hear. And he is fully aware of his situation and his torment. And in that condition, what's on his mind? What's on his mind? I have five brothers. I have five brothers, and I don't want them to join me in this place of torment. Somebody's got to warn them. Send Lazarus to warn them about this place of the dead. If not now, when? When? Do you see the urgency? It's too late for him. There's a great chasm. Nobody crosses over. This is it. It's too late. Okay, okay, it's too late for me. Not my brothers, right? How will Father Abraham respond to his request? Next verse, verse 29. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Now, I need you to understand this. Listen carefully. Moses and the prophets have warned them. And you got a copy. And that five-second knot hole in the fence, it's in the copy. 
Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, if Lazarus comes back from the dead, they'll, they'll listen to Lazarus. No, they won't. No, they won't. If someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Notice what he said. They will repent of their sins. They'll do what they should have already done. They'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, you know what that is? If they won't listen to the word of God, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And by the way, you know who someone is who rose from the dead? The one who's telling the story. The one who's telling the story rose from the dead. Are you listening to him now? If you won't listen to the word of the one who rose from the dead, you won't listen to the one who rose from the dead either. If not now, when? It's too late. Abraham's word to the rich man is too late. There's a great gulf, chasm between us. It's too late. Your, your eternity is sealed. Now, every time I read that story, I think about Jesus' parable. This one is a parable of the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids. If you know anything about that story, that the, the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, went out and they had oil in their lamps, but five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And the wise ones had enough oil to endure whatever time it took and they always kept themselves ready for the wedding, expecting the wedding. But the foolish ones, they were caught off guard. They, they kind of got distracted, and they didn't have enough oil. And then something happens in the story. Listen, in the story, Jesus, the bridegroom, comes, and the door opens, and the five wise bridesmaids come through, the door closes. Five of them got in. Five of them didn't get in. Now, what do you think that is? I can tell you what I think that is. I think that's a picture of the rapture of the church. When some in the church will be ready and the door will open and they will walk through the door and they will meet with the bridegroom. But the ones who are not ready, that door will close. And they will be on the outside. Now, if you read the story, they come later. They've gone, now I'll go get some oil. Now I'll get focused, right? Now I'm ready. I'm ready. If not now, when, 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 when? I'm ready now. They come knock on the door. Okay, we're ready now. Open the door. And what's he say? What's he say? It's too late. No, it's too late. You're outside. You're going to, I don't know you. I don't know you. You're outside. I believe the return of Christ is imminent. I am not going to apologize to you for that statement. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But the more I spend time in prayer and in the Word, the more the Holy Spirit reveals to me the urgency of the day we're living in. There are people sitting in this room more than likely that you will not be ready when the door opens and you will not go through. And I'm asking you, if not now, when? Two points. One is for you. At what point in your life do you think maybe you ought to get ready? 
And number two, if you are ready, at what point in your life do you bear some responsibility to get the people ready around you? I feel this urgency. I feel this burden upon me to make sure that you know. I cannot convince you, nor do I think it's my purpose. I must tell you. And when I believe in the reality of God's eternal judgment of heaven and hell, I must be. When I really come to the conclusion of what's at stake here, this is not some Walt Disney movie that you can turn off. That man has consciousness. He has a body. He knows past, present, future. He knows he is, he is himself in a place of torment forever and ever. And when I believe in the reality of God's eternal judgment of heaven and hell, I must speak. I must. In 2 Corinthians 4.13. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had. Paul's writing this. They stoned him. We continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, when I believed in God, I spoke. I spoke. It's too big. I can't hold it in. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with him. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. When I believed God, I spoke. Listen, when you believe God, you will speak. When you believe God, you will speak. I'm not saying you'll become a preacher. You will speak. You know why? It's too big. It's too big. I couldn't keep it a secret when I believed God. We're all dying and there's a cure for death. One of my favorite preachers over in Lexington is that guy named Wally Rendell. Wally oftentimes says this. Wally says, may we forever preach as dying men to dying men. May I preach as one who's dying to those who are also dying. We're all sinners. And there is one who has the power to forgive sins. We are all destined for God's judgment and the eternal prison of hell. But there is one whose blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness and makes us the children of God. I cannot keep this a secret. And I ask you, if not now, when? I challenge the church. Today, I challenge the church. I am asking each of you to call your family to the kitchen table and to stop playing games. I challenge you to call those people that you love and your friends and confront them with the question of their eternal salvation. And I ask you today, if not now, when do you think you will? Do you see how Satan operates? This distraction. You're too busy. When those people in these six stories encountered Jesus, they became automatic blabbermouths. And it would be wonderful if the church would become blabbermouths again, that we could not hold in, that there is a cure to death. There is a way out of hell's fire. 
His name is Jesus. I make this plea to the church today, the same plea that the Apostle Paul made to the church some 2,000 years ago. It's in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1. That's God's partners. We beg you. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. If not now, when? Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse on a Wednesday. He's going to die on a Friday. If you go through Luke chapter 21, he talks about all the things that are going to precede the return of Christ. He says at the end of that, he who endures to the end to be saved. When you, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption is near. He talks about the fig tree. He talks about all of this. And then at the very end, at the very end, Luke's the one that records it. He says, watch out. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. I'll ask Chad to come on out. Watch out. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. But pray that you would be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Do you know what the coming horrors are? If you read the book of Revelation, it begins with the seven churches. Today I've given you seven stories. There are seven churches. It's glorious because the seven churches are the bride of Christ. That will be taken away before the horrors of the seven-year tribulation come. After the church leaves, the seven seals are broken. And the wrath of God, the judgment of God falls upon the earth. And I'm going to tell you, listen carefully. What follows the absence of the church, what follows the five bridesmaids and the closed door, are events more horrible than your human mind can comprehend. There is no one here, including me, that can comprehend what will happen from that day on. That the restrainer of evil, which is the Holy Spirit, is removed from the earth. And God pours out His wrath, the seven seals, the seven bowls. All of these judgments are coming upon the earth. And you have an opportunity to escape from that. You have an opportunity to not be a part of that, but to watch that scene unfold, perhaps from heaven itself. Pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So today we're going to sing a song. And it's a song of invitation for individuals, for you. You can't, you can't receive Christ for your kids. You can't receive Christ for your spouse. But you can receive Christ for you. And if not now, when? When? So we're going to sing a song. And it's God's invitation to you to receive Christ today, to get real about your faith. <clears throat> so that then you are empowered supernaturally to go and get real with somebody else. You can't give them what you don't have. But once you receive it, He will give you extra measure to hand to somebody else. And then you'll be able to affect your house, your children, your grandchildren. If not now, 
win. The invitation's open. Let's stand.